All right, let's start off with a question this morning. The question is, how important is freedom to you? Why don't you sit on that for a second? How important is freedom to you? There's some answers. Some of you are thinking internally, some are you letting it fly. That's all right. How important is freedom? I mean, would you go so far as Patrick Henry's famous words? Give me liberty or give me death. Would you go that far? Is freedom that important to you? I mean, as Americans, we pride ourselves that we live in the land of the free, right? And we can thank the Lord that we can gather together and to worship him freely. But at the same time, we recognize that the Bible teaches us of freedom that transcends anything that has been obtained through a signing of any political declaration or from any winning of victory of some battle of some kind. And that freedom is spiritual freedom. And this morning, that's what we'll be looking at is spiritual freedom. So if you're taking notes this morning, that's actually the title of our message this morning is spiritual freedom. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do this morning, you open up to John chapter 8. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of John. John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we'll be covering verses 31 through 36 this morning. I'll go ahead and read through those verses this morning, starting in verse 31. We read, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word and you truly are my disciples, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's all we're covering this morning. It seems simple, right? We're going to dig deep into that. If you're taking notes this morning, there are three things we're going to cover this morning. The first is going to be the source of freedom. The second will be the shock of freedom. And the last one will be the scope of freedom. Again, the source of freedom, the shock of freedom, and the scope of freedom. Before we get started, let's go ahead and pray together. Fathers, we have just read the passage for this morning. We pray, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. God, that you would draw us into all truth. That, God, we would leave this place understanding the freedom that we have in Christ. That we would leave this place enjoying the freedom that we have in Christ. That you would be glorified in all things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, starting in our passage this morning, looking at just verses 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How many times have we heard that statement in so many different ways? The truth shall set you free. It's not an X-Files thing or David Duchovny giving some kind of thing. This is Jesus speaking, okay? The truth shall set you free. But it says Jesus spoke to those who believed him. Well, who were they and what is going on? For those of you that haven't been with us and those of you that can't remember what's going on, this is the last day of the Feast of Booths. Jesus is in the temple and he has been preaching out to people, inviting them to come to him. He has just declared himself as the light of the world, to come to him as the source, the great I am. And we read that there are those who believed. Look at your Bibles back to verse 30. 
after Jesus had declared all these things, it says, there were many who believed in him. Now we need to address this type of belief. What kind of belief are we speaking about here in Scripture? Is this a genuine saving belief? Or is this an acknowledgement of some type of facts? You say, well, why, how are we getting there? Well, skip ahead with me to verse 44. John 8, 44, we're going to see it definitely wasn't a, a genuine saving belief. In John 8, 44, Jesus tells them, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Wait, their father is who? The devil. So there's not genuine belief there. It said these are those who had believed him, but it's not a saving belief. Jesus turns to them and says, your father is the devil. So what's going on? Do you guys remember the parable Jesus taught about the sower? Sower and the seed? In Luke chapter 8, verse 13, Jesus says the one on the rocks, the seed that goes out on the rock, are those that when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe it for a while. And in time of testing, they fall away. And that time of testing could be very soon or it could be time later. We know that Jesus earlier in the gospel, we read Jesus met or fed the multitudes, 5,000 men plus women and children. And at the end of that, there were some who believed and wanted to make him king. Remember? The very next day, very next day, the same people abandoned him. John chapter 6, verse 66 says, After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What happened? He started teaching. And he taught about having to eat of him and drink of him. And they went, it's too much for us. We're out of here. Well, they had received him with great joy the day before. They wanted to make him king. And the next day, done. question is, how is that possible? How one day rejoice, the next day, as I heard in the crowd, people saying, crucify him. How does that change? Well, there's a belief that's not a saving belief. And that's what we're going to see in these people this morning. They can agree about the facts of Christ as well as us. We can agree with all the facts about Christ and still miss salvation. That's a scary thing. To know the facts, but still miss the blessings of them? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the beginning says, Paul writes, examine yourself. To see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. And you know, as your pastor, I love you. And my greatest concern for you is your eternity. Now, I would love for you to be happy today, to experience joy today, to be at peace today. But your eternal state is much longer. And what I care about most is in eternity that you are experiencing this for the rest of time. Peace and joy and satisfaction. So when we read this and we read, we must examine ourselves. Guess what? That's to us as well. We must examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. What does that mean? It means there should be fruit from faith. Some of you have been here and we went through James together. That's all James talked about. That's what he wrote about over and over again. There should be evidence of salvation in James chapter 2, verse 17. We see, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is 
dad. It's just words. It's just saying, well, yeah, I believe. Or yes, I know God. But if there is no fruit of that, no evidence of that, it's dead. But let's get it clear. We're not saved by good works. We're not saved by them. Good works are evidence that we are saved. You do not put on good works to try to prove that you are a believer. And you don't put on good works to try to be saved. Salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. But the evidence of the genuineness of that comes out through good works. There's a transformation that goes on. They flow from the believer. And we'll see in the text this morning that these that we speak of that were believing, they didn't possess this type of faith. They didn't possess this type of belief. And there's nothing more tragic in life for someone to come that close to genuine faith and miss it. To come so close to believe that Christ is who he said he is, that Christ is Savior of the world, that he's the bread of life, the light of the world, and yet miss eternity by not trusting him as Lord and Savior. That's what we're looking at this morning. There are people who think they have belief. They think they have faith. And they're deceived because the reality is they don't have it. And church, the reality is 2,000 years later, there are people that are the same today. They think they possess genuine faith. They think I'm okay with God. And just like we see those in the passage, they don't. That's where our ears need to be tuned in this morning. Jesus is going to set the record straight. So look again with me at these opening verses that we're looking at. Verses 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed. He's going to teach them now. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. First point. Point number one. The source of freedom. The source of freedom. Jesus says, if you abide in my Word, this is the source. Christ and His Word. That's the source of freedom. The only source of freedom. Look, we could chase after all kinds of things in life that we want to be free from, but the only true freedom you're going to find is in Jesus Christ. He brings freedom. He says, abide in my Word. That means continue to hold on to my teachings. It means persevere in obeying me. He says, be devoted to me. To my word, that is the evidence of genuine faith. Remaining faithful in following the word. A desire to obey the word. Stop. Remember Paul said, examine yourself, test yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Is there a desire to want to please God? Is there a desire to want to obey his word? Because in the natural man, the man who does not have the spirit of God, there's only a desire to please self. But when that person is born again and the Spirit of God dwells inside them, they are given new desires. And now there's a desire to please God. Evidence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, abiding in me, I am the source. I am the source of freedom. And he's going to teach us the blessings of abiding in his word. In this opening passage that we have, he's got three blessings laid out for abiding in the word. The first blessing, abiding in his word equals being a true disciple. Abiding in his word equals being a true disciple. He said, if you abide in my word, 
you are truly my disciples. See how it works together? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. In Matthew chapter 8, there was a commission given out by Jesus. Many of you are very familiar with it. It says in chapter 28, verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. By the way, what would you see as the verb there? In English, we would see the word go. In Greek, that is not the verb. It's make disciples. It's making disciples. It would mean in the Greek that as you are going, you're already out and going. As you're there, make disciples. That's what the Great Commission is. It's not we think go and we put like, you know, something around the world where we're supposed to go there. In the Greek, it's as you are going, the verb is make disciples. But keep reading with me. You're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe. This word observe is to obey. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. Speaking of James, I referred to earlier, James said, James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, be doers of the word. Doers. He says, don't be hearers only. If you're a hearer only, he says, you've deceived yourself. You've deceived yourself. So what does it mean to be a doer of God's word? What does it mean to abide? How does that come together? Well, in this Gospel of John, in chapter 14, Jesus says three times that if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. Three times. John chapter 14, verse 15, we see it the first time. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Again, in verse 21 and 23 through 24, we'll bunch them together. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Church, you've got to see the correlation between these two things. Because it's very easy to say, I love God. It's just words. If you've ever been in a relationship with somebody, you could tell the person, I love you, right after you smacked them. You're like, that didn't communicate love. But you could say it with your lips, but your heart could be far from you. And that's what Jesus would accuse people of. You praise me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. He says here, if you love me, you'll obey me. Why? Because if you love him and it's genuine saving faith, you've been given new desires. Now I desire to please him, to follow him, to obey him, to submit to him. But if it's just a head knowledge that, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, and yeah, I could be forgiven there is no regeneration, there's no new heart, and it's still just me. But if it's submission to Him, and He is Christ, and He is Lord, and He is Savior, now there's love for Him. Love that's demonstrated by obeying Him. The same writer of this gospel also wrote a little letter towards the end of your Bible. It's 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. He writes, for this is the love of God, 
You reading it? That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. I will tell you this. If you have not been born again, if you have not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, trying to please God is so hard. As a matter of fact, it's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But you try to put on good works. You try to work hard. You try to do what's right. And it's so frustrating. But when God gives you a new heart and new desires, now you've got a new purpose, a new pursuit. And you strive to go and to please him. That is the love of God, that we would keep his commandments. Jesus starts with, true disciples are those who abide in my word. True disciples are not driven, listen church, true disciples are not driven by guilt for what they've done wrong. But they're driven by the desire of doing right. True disciples are not driven by guilt of doing wrong, but by a desire to do right. Is that making sense to you? Some people do something wrong, they feel so bad, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Instead of the flip side of, oh, I so want to do what is right and pleasing to God. That's a true disciple. The desire to do what is right and pleasing in his sight. So again, the first blessing we see for abiding in Christ's word is to know that you're a true disciple of his. There's not, well, I hope I am. I, I think I might be. But there's evidence that I'm abiding in his word. That I'm following him, pursuing him. Second blessing Jesus talks about here. He says abiding in his word equals knowing the truth. You ever talked about somebody to somebody who's in this postmodern mentality and you talk about truth and they go, truth? There's not really truth. There's no, no such thing as truth. I mean, what I believe is good for me and what you believe is good for you and that's my truth and that's your truth and there's no real truth. You ever heard that? It's absurd. It is absolutely crazy. So let's test it out. Let's go up on a plane. Let's see how gravity works. You jump first. Right? If there's no truth, if it's just relative, then let's see if you float. But there is truth. But there's truth that Jesus says that abiding in his word, we will know the truth. Jesus himself proclaims himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. We know the gospel of John started off by saying that through Christ, grace and truth comes. He's the only one that grace and truth comes by. Later in the gospel, in chapter 17, John records a prayer of Jesus. Just a glimpse of it. John 17, 17. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Again, in Psalm 119, verse 160, we read, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Christ is truth. His word, therefore, is truth. That's what we have here. Scripture, the revelation of divine truth. Those of you that have been in the Bible study on Wednesday night, one of the first passages you memorized was 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. A lot harder to repeat when you're standing in front of a group of people. Many of you are familiar, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 4 that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Do you understand the importance of God's Word? Do you seek after God's Word? Because Paul would write that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, how is that possible? Is it through like osmosis if I just sleep on my pillow? What must occur with this? Oh, come on, that's not a trick question. Read it. Do what it says. Follow it through the power of the Spirit. Have your mind renewed by the Word of God. If He's given you desire, it's like, look, it, it, when I was a child, when my dad would come visit, he was my dad, I couldn't wait to see him. I would go on the couch and wait for him to pull up. I was so excited to see him. I have a much better father than that father. And when he drew me to repentance and faith, when he gave me his Holy Spirit, I so desired to be with him. Unlike any other earthly relationship. That's a transformation by the Spirit of God. That's what we're speaking of here is, this is his word? Look, my wife is my, my high school sweetheart. And, and there was, uh, well, there were phones. Yeah, I'm not that old. But it was very expensive for a long-distance relationship. So we wrote letters. When I got a letter, I didn't skim over a couple lines and flip over and let's see where the good stuff is. I read every single word because I really liked her. I say I loved her, and I want to know what was in her heart and her mind. Do you love God? Do you want to know Him? There you go. For those of you that knew, yes, this is a huge Bible with really big print, so it's easy to read. Some of you are like, what is that thing? So if you profess to be a believer, you should know God's Word. You should know it. You should love it. And it should dwell in you richly. And the blessing is that if you abide in it, you will know the truth. You'll have discernment that you've never had before. Jesus goes on and gives the third blessing of abiding in His Word. He talks about abiding in His Word equals being set free. Abiding in his word equals being set free. He says, if you abide in my word, the truth will set you free. If Jesus is talking about a blessing of being set free, what does that mean about the condition we come to him in? I heard it. He's right. We're in bondage. We're coming to him enslaved. But most people don't see it that way. Most people say, I'm as free as can be. I can do what I want, when I want, whatever I want. And don't realize the truth of the matter is that they're enslaved. Jesus was quoting, he was teaching in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, quoting the prophet Isaiah. Jesus said of himself, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, listen, liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind and set up liberty those who are oppressed. Liberty to the captives, who, who's that? All of mankind. He's come to give liberty. And liberty, freedom, only comes through Christ Jesus. So when we speak of bondage, speak of slavery, what kind of slavery is mankind into? What, what, what are they enslaved to? I heard it. Well, I heard some examples of it, and I heard just the key. The key is sin. Now, now some of you know 31 flavors where you get whatever scoop of ice cream you want. Well, there's the same with sin. You get, there's different flavors. But then slavery is to sin. I like to say that we were born S-I-N positive. All of us. You know, it often amazes me that 
a mom with her newborn child will sit there and day after day will look at that baby and go, Mom. Mom. Trying to get that baby to mimic mom. And then when dad gets the baby, he comes in, he's like, Dad. Dad. And that baby begins to talk, and one of the first words is, Mine. I, I didn't teach the baby that. You know what I'm talking about, right? We never spent all that time teaching that baby to say mine and grab things. Where did that come from? That nature, that sinful nature, that depraved nature. Mine. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome to come on stage and assist with that. That was perfect. From the mouth of babes. Our sinful natures exposed from our very first words. Jesus says that in him, we're set free. We're set free to no longer serve self, no longer serve Satan. We're free to do what pleases Christ. We're set free to listen. We're set free to enjoy God. Can you enjoy God if you're in sin? No way. If you're guilt-ridden, you don't enjoy God. You, you shrink back. You're, you're scared. You're, I'm hoping he's not watching, which is the silliest thing to think of. Really? Where are you going to go and hide? But we're hoping maybe he didn't see that or hear that. But he sees all. He knows all. But we're free to enjoy him. You see, sin brings temporary pleasure, but it has eternal destruction. Sin brings temporary pleasure. Look, if someone ever tells you, well, sin is not enjoyable, that's dumb. People wouldn't sin then. They sin because there is temporary pleasure. But there's also eternal destruction at the end. But pleasing Christ brings eternal pleasure with no destruction. Pleasing Christ brings eternal pleasure with no destruction. You want to talk about living your purpose? Many of us, several of us were at CBU last night watching a basketball game. And their slogan is live your purpose. But the real purpose of life is to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. And it's only through Christ that you can actually do that. Point number two this morning, the shock of freedom. The shock of freedom. Look with me in your Bibles, John chapter 8, starting in verse 33 to 35. Before some of you start checking your watches saying, really, that was point number one? Don't worry, the other points are shorter. Don't freak out. Don't cancel your lunch plans or anything else. Verses 33 through 35, they answered him back to Jesus, said, We are offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. How many of you know your Old Testament with Israel? Were they ever enslaved? Really? What are they talking about? They've been enslaved by Egypt. During Judges, there was like seven times the nation fell. Over and over again. The Babylonian captivity. But they say, we've never been enslaved to no one. Completely deceived, completely blinded, not only of their physical freedom, but especially of their spiritual freedom. They have no idea. They're clueless about what Jesus is talking about, about spiritual freedom. So Jesus, knowing this, responds very clearly in verse 34. 
He says, look, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. He says, look, just like, he says, think that you're, you think you're the children of God. You think you're going to be in the house of God, but the reality is you're a slave. And the slave is not there forever. The slave will be gone at some point. It is only the son that remains in the house. And he's telling them, you are not the son of God. Again, thinking back to that verse earlier, verse 44, where he says, you're sons of the devil. Not sons of God. He says, only the son will reign forever. He's warning them of their deception, of their wrong thinking. They think they're fine with God. They think that they'll be with God forever. And Jesus tells them otherwise. I have a question for you. Is that mean? Is it mean what Jesus is telling them? Is it unloving for him to tell them that? If someone is headed to hell and you said, hey, you're fine, is that a loving statement? That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is telling them, you're not fine. He's demonstrating love to them. Many people look at it going, wow, he's not very nice. It's the most loving thing you could do is to show somebody the deception they're in to get them to truly see who God is. And Jesus is saying, you're not the son that you think you are. You're the slave. He says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We'll read more about this. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. What does that mean? It means before coming to Christ, all I presented myself to, my mind, hands, feet, everything, was sin. It was unrighteousness. But the Bible says, I'm not the same as I used to be. I'm a new creation. And now present everything that I am unto the Lord for righteousness. Just a few verses later in Romans chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Remember Paul's warning, test yourself, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. We read right here, there should be a transformation. That you were once a slave of sin, but you've become obedient from the heart. There's been now a desire to please God. It wasn't there before. It's there now. There's a desire to abide in His Word, to press on. But there are people just like the Jews here that are in shock. They thought they had freedom. They don't have freedom. And there are people here today who think they're fine with God. I'm okay with God, but they continue to live in habitual sin and think it's fine. And like the Jews that Jesus was addressing, that they were deceived, he's addressing us today as well. Saying if there hasn't been transformation in your life, if you truly, if the, if the works of your life haven't turned from darkness to light, you need to examine yourself. Church, I'm the pastor here. I'm not God. I can't look at you and determine whether or not you have genuine faith or not. But when you look at God's Word, 
and you allow it to be like a mirror and look at it, and it reflects back to you. Where do you see yourself? Do you see that you're abiding in God's Word? Do you see that you know Him? Do you see that you've turned from sin and turned to God? Now, I'm not talking about you're, you're walking perfect, and if you stepped on a pool, you'd float over that pool. I'm talking about there's the pursuit of holiness, that you desire to walk holy and righteous before God because He's transformed you. And yet, when you sin, there is grace to get you back up and continue on. Grace upon grace, the Bible tells us. But there's that pursuit. Now, hold on to your seats because this same author, in that letter at the back of the book, gets really serious with this topic. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 4-10, through 10, John writes, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. He says, you know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Look at verse 6. No one who abides in him. Stop there. What are we talking about in John chapter 8? Abiding. Here he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Stop there. Time out. If you read that just the way it is in English, we are all in a lot of trouble. Because most likely, even this day, you had some type of thought that wasn't very glorifying to God. But it says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. In the Greek, that actually means habitually practice, to make a practice of. It means that's what they're known as. Oh, there's the liar, there's the thief, there's the gossip, there's the... That's who they're known as. It's their habit. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, ready, is of the devil. Exactly what Jesus told them in John chapter 8. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Question, when you go down to Lifeway Bookstore, how come that's not on a cup, a little mug, or a t-shirt, or a bumper sticker? Because it didn't feel very good reading it, right? It's like, whew. That didn't give me the warm, fuzzy feeling reading it. But it's truth. And the truth shall set you free. It's the truth. And this truth is shocking. It's shocking because there are people, just like I said, where in Jesus' day, that are in the day to day, that are deceived to think they're okay with God. They think they have freedom. They think their freedom is to go and to sin all they want. The Apostle Paul actually had to address that. He says, Because grace abounds, I should go and sin more? Of course not. Surely you don't, because there's grace, mean you go sin more, you sin less. Unless these people here in this text have not been born again they continue to live in habitual sin and here again is the shock today within this body there could be someone here who's in the same position as them who have the head knowledge of who he is that have this superficial belief that they can go through all the motions and tell you they can even articulate the gospel to you yet they do not know Christ they have not been regenerated by the spirit Third point this morning. We're almost there. The scope of freedom. 
Last verse we're looking at this morning, John chapter 8, verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free indeed means fully and completely free forever. Forever. Not for a day, not for a week, but forever. Once and done, the freedom that Jesus gives blots out our past and makes it absolutely free in him for all eternity. Think about that. Are there skeletons in the closet? Things that you wouldn't want to put up on the screen in front of the church? Jesus blots it out and makes you free for all eternity. Freedom in him. Think of the different areas that a believer experiences freedom. We have been delivered from the wrath of God. Now, we don't like talking about the wrath of God very much. It's part of his character. He is holy. Romans 5, 9 says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Speaking of Jesus, what he's done. For those of us who have trusted on Jesus, believed in him, that he is both Lord and Savior. We've been forgiven. The wrath has been delivered. We have been delivered from condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, here's the reality. You're going to hear a message like this, and some of you are going to get ready, get your little whip, and start beating yourself like, bad me, bad me, bad me. Here's the point. Do you have the Spirit of God and the desire to chase after God? And if you do, there will be times that you will stumble into sin. But there's no longer condemnation because Christ has paid the penalty for that as well. And there should be the Holy Spirit that comes and both brings comfort and restoration that you don't continue in that sin, but you turn back to God. Remember, if we sin, we turn to him, we confess our sin, knowing he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've been delivered from death and hell. John 5, 24 says, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It's not a maybe, it's truth. It's done. And we've been delivered from the power of sin. Remember that bondage we talked about, that enslavement to sin? We've been delivered from that power. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but you are under grace. Sin doesn't have the power over the believer. We've also been free to love God. We've been free to do what pleases God. We've been delivered from the bondage of sin and self. We've been given the opportunity to enjoy God, to glorify God. All who are in Christ Jesus are free indeed, Jesus says. They're free indeed. So this morning, remember the source. Remember the source of freedom. The source of freedom is in Christ and his word. That's the source of freedom. Remember the shock that there are many who think that they're okay. They think that they have the freedom, but they don't. And the Apostle Paul would say, examine yourself. Test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. And remember the scope of freedom. That you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and are now free to enjoy God and to glorify God forever. Here's what this all boils down to. Just like in Jesus' day, they were sitting there face to face with Jesus. And right now you're sitting face to face with his word. The same authority that came out of his mouth, you're sitting facing his word. And how will you respond to his word? 
Jesus who came to die in your place. To take the wrath that you have stored up because of your sins, he took it upon himself. That he would pay the full penalty that you can be free. And he asks you to come to him. Come to me. Turn from yourself. The word is repent. Turn from your way and turn to him. Come to him. Receive him. Submit to him. And receive his Holy Spirit. Church, you can't have it both ways. You can't do it your way and say, but I also have God and I've got Jesus in a backpack that I carry around in case I need him. It doesn't work that way. I often have this visual of, of a picket fence and putting one leg on one side and a leg on another and someone dragging you across it. That's what it's like to say, I'm going to live my life my way and I'm going to live life God's way. It's not going to be a good ride. Thank you, Corky. It, 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 it's it's going to be a very painful ride. But there are people that do it. They think it's okay because I know something about Christ. I, I know some information or I go to church or I, I give money in the, in the little collection plate or I do these things. Remember, those should be the fruit, the evidence of faith. They're not the works that you're trying to prove that you are saved. They're evidence that you are. So this morning, if you are questioning, well, if I examine myself, do I really love God? Because if I test it to the Scripture, to love Him means what? Who's following along? To, to abide in Him and to obey. To obey Him. Is my pursuit to obey Christ, to please Him? Or right now am I thinking, I really don't know that. Well, church, the great thing about this is that Jesus presents us with a one-step process. You don't have to go through 12 steps. There's one step. It's called repent. Turn to him now. Turn in repentance. Turn and receive him as both Lord and Savior and abide in him. Do it now. Enjoy him. Enjoy God. Are you satisfied with him? Or are you feeling like you're missing out on other things? If you feel like you're missing out right now, you need to turn to him. Because He is everything. He is our satisfaction. He is our joy. He is our peace. He's everything. Turn to Him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You that You are a God who is long-suffering. Such a God of patience. God, just as there were 2,000 years ago, there are people today who have toyed with the idea of Jesus, who have toyed with the idea of religion, who have put on good works to make themselves feel better, to make themselves feel justified. And this morning we're reminded that there's a one-step process to turn to Christ, that we can never make it on our own works, our own merit. But Christ is the one who died in our place, who gave himself for us, who rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, that we could be free and we could be free indeed. Father, I pray for anyone in this place this morning, you know who they are, who would come in this place and be in bondage and yet not know it. They think that they are fine with you. That right now you would expose it through the power of your spirit and that you would draw them by your amazing love to yourself that they would cry out to you in repentance and faith in Jesus.
trust in him and abide in him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.